Hello, you're listening to the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo and you can find us online at writerscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published and write with confidence. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. Our team is passionate about all things writing and in these podcasts, we'll be talking to best-selling authors on their craft. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Maureen McCarthy is a Melbourne-based author whose most recent book is The Convent, a fictional novel about the lives of four generations of women who are all inextricably linked to the Abbotsford Convent, a real place in Collingwood, Melbourne. The Abbotsford Convent has functioned as a convent, laundry, orphanage, farm, school and nursing college. These days, in real life, it's a vibrant artistic community featuring arts and culture organisations like the Australian Writers' Centre. It also has a series of writers' studios and a diverse range of other artists who work out of the precinct. Maureen is also well known for her best-selling novel and much-loved book, Queen Cat, Carmel and Sir Jude Get a Life, which was made into a highly successful four-part miniseries produced by Trout Films in association with the ABC. Her other novels include Ganglands, Cross My Heart, Flash Jack and the In-Between series. She's also published the novels Careful What You Wish For, Somebody's Crying, When You Wake and Find Me Gone and Rose by Any Other Name. She is the ninth of ten children and grew up on a farm near Yay in Victoria. So, Maureen, thank you for joining us today. Oh, pleasure, Valerie. How did you determine that you wanted to write your most recent novel, The Convent? What what inspired that? Oh, well, that was a bit of a complicated thing. I, I um. My mum had grown up at there. My mum uh, was there from the age as an orphan from the at Abbotsford Convent from age three till sixteen, and we'd always heard about the convent. And I'd been there a couple of times. You know, it's had a it was sort of finished as a convent in the nineteen seventies, and then the government took it over. And I'd been there where it looked like it was going to be bulldozed any minute, and then it got taken over and made into this very vibrant community. And um, I'd, I'd been there a few times. I thought, this is where my mum is. And then I moved house quite nearby and I started going there a lot. And I thought, I never went through the gates without thinking of my mother and of the past life, this lovely place. It's a lovely place now with cafes and beautiful gardens and artist studios and everything. But all those spaces were used by by nuns, by um, the, there was a huge orphanage, there was a laundry um, with these girls, the bad girls, inverted commas, had taken from the courts and working a huge commercial laundry. And I knew about all that and I thought, God, it'd just be so, I'd love to just, and, and the whole place just meant so much to me. I thought, I really thought, because of my mother being there, I suppose, initially, but I thought it's got so much history, this place. I'm I'm going to, you know, that's what that was really what got me going. I thought I would love to just set set a book here mm. and using some of my mum's history and then 
researching a whole lot more, which I did. So how did you go about researching the what you needed to find out about the convert and your mother? Well, they, there's a really good archive there, so I was able to um, pull pull up my mum's what what was there of my mum's history. I mean, she left in um, she was born in 1912. Was there for from the time she was three. 50, 15 right through till she was 16, so into, almost into the 30s. So, and so I was able to read up a lot from the, from the archive. But also, the wonderful thing it was is um, Valerie. There's still still nuns around. They 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 sold the place off, and then they bought a whole lot of housing nearby. So there was old nuns around that I could talk to, and also they along with the Sort of houses for themselves. They bought houses for some of the girls, inverted commas, who were old ladies now who'd been completely institutionalised. There were, there were, and there's a nursing home there, and all these women still alive could tell me their stories. Wow. So, so they're well into their, you know, their 70s and 80s. Some of these girls went there as orphans. They never wanted to leave because. You, I know from my from my own experience, but uh, from even just being in a boarding school for six years, it's very easy to get institutionalised. And some of these girls never wanted to leave, and they just stayed with the nuns all their lives, never never left. Wow! And that and but there are others, of course. Of course, I went to see some of the girls who'd been in there as punishment, and I went to I met some of those and heard about their stories. As well, so it was a, a lot of it was talking to people. So, did mm. you discover a lot about your own mother through writing this book? Um, well, quite a bit, yes. I mean, I discovered that her mother, there's, it's actually in in the archives that her mother would come intermittently and knock knocking on the door, um, wanting to see her daughter. When her daughter, my mum, was taken away from her, she never saw her again. But she would come back to the convent, and in one of the little um, notes on this woman coming back for for my mum, uh, she speaking in, in brackets that had speaking filthy language and smelling of drink, <laughs> <laughs> and th- th- you know, things, little things like that, you know, which which is just great little hints into into the times and the life and the incredible judgmental attitude to women. Oh, boy. If you didn't toe the line, you know, you could have your children take... It wasn't just a matter of neglecting the children. If you didn't take toe the line, and you could have your child taken away from you, by, by certainly by the father and by a couple of other people too. Uh, you only needed a couple of people and you have your children taken away. Mm. It's just, just amazing. I mean, it sounds like such an amazing true story. Why did you decide to write a fictional novel? Well, I've, I've always written fiction. I, I, I sometimes will start something I, you know, the, in the first person, Maureen McCarthy, and it just never feels right. But of course, I, I am in all my books and... I'm certainly in that book as well, very much so. Um, it's it's a hard one to answer that one. You just it's what medium you feel comfortable in. What not medium? That's the wrong word. But it's what how you want it, how you want to tell this story. Um, yeah, um, and I've, I I just tend towards 
life-based fiction, if you know what I mean, like based on real events, real people, but it's still fiction. Mm. You have a number of characters in this book that are all interlinked not only with each other but with the convent. So when you were writing that, though, on a practical level, because you've got four generations of women, but on a practical level, how do you map this out? Do you figure out all of the characters and their relationships beforehand or do you let them emerge as you go along? How does that work? Well, a bit of a combination, but I can tell you that that convent book, as you said, it's four generations within the one family. So I've got the 19-year-old Peach who's been adopted out when she was a baby and she's well, without giving too much away, then then her, that's her mother who was a nun there for some time, and then um, my, my by the way, my sister was a nun. So um, and then there was the the character, the older teacher's grandmother, who's very much her story is based on my mother, and then there is Sadie, who's based on my grandmother, I suppose. So um, once I decided on the four generations within the one story. It's very strange but it all just sort of fell into place I, I knew the story I knew a lot of it and I was, I'd done research and I, it, I, I certainly never write plans for myself I'm certainly never a very planned writer but somehow that worked um, yeah, I hope so. Because, anyway. <laughs> because I guess because it was life-based fiction, so you you yes. knew how the story was going to pan out. Yes, but the whole story of Peach, the younger girl, and tying uh, her life in with um, you know and what, what happens with her mates. You know, she's got this mate Debt, who's uh, you know in a, in a life dilemma that's very akin to how the women were in the convent years ago, but it plays out very differently in today's world, you know, with the with the unwanted pregnancy. All that was sort of fictional, although I have to say that a very good friend of mine has two adopted daughters, and um, so I was able to really... Um, I knew up close that, that what, what adoption was like too. From, from them. So, yes, in a way, it was very life-based, yeah. So how yeah. long did it take you to write this book when you finally kind of knuckled down to researching and writing? And and what do you think was the most challenging thing about it? Well, it, usually my books take about 18 months, two years. I wish I could be half that time. <laughs> I wish I could... I wish I could put heart, I wish I could put out a book every year, <laughs> but I just tend to meander along a bit, and I do a bit of research, and then I do a bit of writing, and then I get a new idea of how it's going to, what direction it's going to take. So, um, and then I have to stop and, you know, do a few workshops, you know, take a few workshops, or go to a few schools. So it's it's never an easy one to answer of how long, but it's usually within that eighteen months, two year. Period. I can I can get a book together. And, yeah. and do you typically do all the research or most of the research first before you sit down and, and write it out, or how does that? No, work? no, I don't. Um, once again, I wish I did. It would make more sense. But I I tend to um, at the beginning of a novel, Valerie, I lose all confidence. I think, oh, I'm never going to be able to write this. Oh, you know, okay, I've read all this. You know, I've read all this history of the place because there's a big history of the Abbotsford Convent being written. So I read that a couple of times and I think, okay, um, now there's a whole lot of other stuff I should do. But how am I going to tell this story? So I, 
I'm grappling with that and I don't do any more history research for a while but then I find that I need to so it's all it's all jumbled up yeah <laughs> so I understand yeah. that you had the benefit of actually writing in the convent in the writer studios in the convent can you tell us a little bit more about how that came about and why you decided to do that Yes, um, I've written all my books at home before, but then I always had, I'd never quite lived alone before, and I just felt the need to sort of get out, you know, it's a bit, it's a, an isolated experience, and I, and I knew that they had the, the um, writing is an isolating experience, but I, I knew they had these, um, these artist studios, writer studios, and, um, um, I was lucky enough to get an Australia Council grant for this book, which was just fantastic. And I thought, right, I'm going to use, I'm going to see what that's like working out of home, and get myself a room there. So um, I had to be on a waiting list and everything. They're, they're quite coveted places. Anyway, one came up and I took it, and um, and it's not that far. I can just ride my bike there, and it's just great. Yeah, I really enjoy it so much so that the convent's finished, and I really didn't want to give it up. So. But also, my grant is also finished, so I have to share a room now. So I moved into a room with someone else, and you know, half the cost sort of thing. But it's still really good. I really, I really love it. And um, I, I felt with writing the convent too that I needed to be in the place and to sort of smell it and walk around and know it intimately too. Where the artist studios is the old, where the nuns lived. The, the actual convent part, and there's these long corridors, and so every time I walk up the very wide wooden stairs and look along the the the, the corridor and see where the you know big statue of the Sacred Heart used to be, it's not there now, obviously. You know, it just give me a feeling of the place. All those rooms just leading off on each each all those cells they used to call them in those days, like three three floors of cells. You know, for, at one stage, Valerie, there are 150. In the 60s, there are 150 nuns there on that in in that place, and they're looking after 1,500 to 2,000 women and girls on that site. Oh my so it was goodness! Huge. It was huge. And they were basically self-sufficient. They had a piggery, they had farms, they had uh, poultry, they had, um, uh, the only thing, uh, they had schools, orphanages. I mean, it was a huge, huge place, six and a half hectares. And so, I mean, for, even from that point of view, it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. What a gift, though, to be able to... to to write there for the entire time in the very Oh, yeah, of... yeah, yeah. No, I love it. And it's, it's just a lovely community there now too of painters and writers. I, I love going there. So it's really good. are you planning... Uh, what What was it like? How, dif- how was it different to writing from home and was it better and why? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I liked it. And often, because I'm a, naturally a pretty lazy person, I have to say, <laughs> And I think, oh, I won't go there today, you know, but, but, but I never, you mess around at home in a way that you don't, once, it's a little bit of a business, you've got, I've got to get on the bike and lock up the bike, and I think, oh, can I be bothered, you know, I've got my office upstairs, I can just work from home, but it's always worth it, you know, just to go away from your home life and make that break, get a coffee at the beautiful little cafe, sit there and zone out from domestics and my kids and all their problems and my own problems, you know, and just 
zone into this book. It was great. Yeah. So tell us then, when you're writing a book, do you have a particular writing routine? Like some people have to start with a cup of tea and then reading yesterday's pages or something like that. What Do you have a routine? I wish I could say I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, would, I would say that though, that I do love to take a little time to zone out uh, of of the practi- my practical life of um, people coming for tea or my son's got a new child or, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, and just um, just letting... Uh, one way of doing that is to grab a coffee or, or a cup of tea and read. I read a lot of... Right? And I love to read just a few pages of a, of a good book and that'll just take me away... Um, take me into the, 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 the writing zone, mm-hmm. yeah. Many of your stories feature young women, either in their late teens, maybe early 20s. Do you have a particular interest or passion about writing about this stage in life or something? Well, I, I think I must have because they just keep <laughs> appearing one after the other. And it doesn't quite make sense because it's, like they're just a little bit too old to be teenagers. So people, is it teen fiction? It's not exactly. It's some young adult, I suppose. But it's, I often have older characters as well. But I, I, I do gravitate. I'm going to really try um, in the next book not to do it, just to just to you know get away from it. But <laughs> I, I, I feel like that um, that was a very interesting time in my life. I love that time of life. I love looking back to that time of life, uh, the late teens, early 20s. I, I just feel like so much is going on there. Uh, decisions are being made, relationships being formed, um, values being developed. That uh, I, I find it a really, it was an interesting time in my life and I I see it as, um, yeah, just before the age of about 26 or 27 when you start sort of sussing out, who you've sort of sussed out a bit. I, I just find it an interesting time, mm. yeah. You made reference to your next book. What have, have you already started on that? Oh, yes, I have, except I ha- I'm not as far along. I have a contract and everything, and I should be much further along with it than I am. <laughs> but once again, I'm taking a big institution and... Um, uh, like that was the convent I've done, and, and oddly enough, um, I won't go into why. It's a sort of a fa- another family story, but um, I'm taking the big the the big um, Willsmere uh, Q Asylum for the insane. Wow, <laughs> which is just not far away. Um, that it was closed down even after the convent has now been made into just. Quite um, quite expensive housing. Wow! <laughs> like it's all being renovated into housing, but you go there and you have there's still the walls and still because it's heritage. It's still the old hospital is there, and um, I've been doing research into that, and I have a story that I'm working on for that. But uh, you know, I'm I'm sort of a bit scared because it's not quite the um, uh, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty sad story. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As, you know, but what happened to people with mental problems, you know, just extraordinary stuff. Um, you know, like little children being born there to a mother and never never going out. They actually lived that, their whole life there and died there. I mean, this is what happened. But I, I, part of me just thinks people don't know this stuff. Mm. And, um, 
and it's sort of very it's part of our history. It's mm. not it's not so long ago either, Valerie. Mm. That's the weird thing. It's not long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm. You also write scripts, as because as you mentioned, you kind of that's how you. Um, kind of got into writing um script writing is a much much more collaborative process though than the isolation of writing a novel how do you um deal with that because especially when you're so used to just being your own boss kind of thing suddenly you have to collaborate with all these other people yeah no I, I don't do script writing anymore Valerie yeah that's why and for exactly the reasons you've pinpointed mm. that's why I sort of stopped <laughs> <laughs> um, it, look it's fun in a way but um, to sit in the room with half a dozen people and um, and uh, be told what's wrong with your script and you know and people get very excited about the ideas and the characters and they tell you what's right with it and everything but at the end of the day you've got to go away and takes on board some of those changes and it will work or won't work depending on what the producer says or sometimes you'll write a scene that um, this is so long ago now but I, I just don't do it anymore yeah it just it's not me anymore um, you know you'll write a scene that you think is pivotal to the whole half hour of TV or something and because it's raining that day or they've run out of money they don't they, they don't shoot it <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me once <laughs> and so you were an art teacher do you actually do art just for yourself anymore no no I don't no I, I do dream about doing it though mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so one day I might yeah but I, I don't yeah. do you write every day do you feel it's important to write every day no, I don't. I, I I think well, in a way, I do because I'll 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 just work. I start. I I very much start off, you know, by hand in big notebooks and stuff. So I, I'll do some of that sort of work most days. But um, working seriously on my book, um, uh, you know, not every day, no. But when you know, it just depends on what's going on. Sometimes I'll get a really good run on, and I'll just. I'll do it every day, but not, not not all the time. Some writers feel that uh, when they're in the process of actually writing, serious writing, um, they sh- they shouldn't be reading other books at that time in case it kind of infuses into their story. Do you have any issue with that? No, no, I'm quite the opposite. No, I love, especially I love picking up if I'm if I'm especially if I'm really in the zone and I'm with my book and I'm feeling up about it and I feel yeah that's great um even just this morning I started um you know rereading a bit of Colm Toibin you know Brooklyn and I just oh it's just so good the writing is so good and it just um reminds me again the power of it you know I, I need to be reminded again the power of of story the power of words and it just I love it so much when other people do it well. You just, it just gives you sort of inspiration to try your best to do it as well as you can. <laughs> I sound like a, I sound very jolly holly sticks, don't I? But, you know, like, no, I find it inspirational. Mm. Cast your mind back to, obviously, you are a very, very experienced and successful novelist now, but cast your mind back to when you were writing your first couple of novels. What did you do to hone your craft what did you do to try and be better 
Um, well, the, the big thing you can do is read. That, that reading widely is what tells you what, what you're able to do, what, what's possible. Um, uh, that, that's the way you really learn. And, and if you're loving it and re reading it and loving it and writing down, I write down often, I have notebooks, you know, writing down just sentences or paragraphs that grab me and then rereading them afterwards and thinking about the way they do grab you. Um, but the big, the thing is also, you, you are working for somebody in a sense. If someone's given you a contract and you're working with these marvelous people, well, in my experience, they've been marvelous people. A, a um, publisher and the, the editor, I've only ever worked with good people. And they're they're sh telling you, look, Maureen, you know, um, this first half is great, but the second half it just drags, you know, um, and we don't understand the motivation there. It doesn't feel right, you know, and so you talk about that. They're not saying you must do this, you must do that, but they're just um, sort of helping you, you know, that is a lovely time. I always enjoy that time. After I've done the first draft, I enjoy that time of, of working once they've said, as long as they, ba if they basically love it, you, th th they're telling they're telling you how to make it better, and you're learning from that. Mm. Yeah, you, that's that's teaching you, me a lot. Mm, yeah. Work with good people. Yeah, um, yeah. One of your best-selling books, Queen Cat Carmel and Saint Jude Get a Life, um, mm. was uh, made into a series. What's it like? Seeing that happen, seeing you know your words actually come alive on the screen. Oh, it's fantastic! I wish it had happened again. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, yeah. No, it was great. Was it how people... you it? Yeah, well, not exactly. And but people often would say, "Oh, will you please visit?" And you know, and is sort of expecting that I'm going to be displeased. You know, often people sort of think, I suppose it's that Hollywood thing, you know, where really famous right, big writers get narky about what's been done to the to their books. Sometimes you read that, but I certainly, um, I certainly enjoyed the whole thing, and uh, certainly I had some criticisms. I felt like there wasn't enough this or that, but I loved the three girls that they chose that, that were cast in the role, the main roles, and I thought a lot of it was. It was just great, and it was it was a real buzz to sit down on Sunday night and um, see, you know, Queen Cat, Carl and Sir Jude from a book by Maureen McCarthy going <laughs> right across Australia. It was fantastic. Yes. <laughs> and what is the, finally, what do you think is the most challenging thing about writing um, a novel, and what is the most rewarding thing? The challenging thing is, is keeping it, for me, is keeping my confidence up, really believing I can do it because I'm naturally a pretty pessimist. I don't know if I come across like that, but I, I, I can often lose momentum. I just think, oh, who wants this anyway? Oh, look, you know, or I, sometimes I'll read a really fabulous book and I think, I'm so far away from that. What's the point, you know? <laughs> you know, so for one reason or another, you can sort of lose it. You can lose it Cause, because to sit in that room by yourself, you actually have to believe that you're doing something very, very exciting that other people are going to love, you know? You, you actually have to believe it's important. And if you lose that feeling... Um, which I 
often do. Um, but that, that's the hard part. Yeah. What was the other part and of the question? What, was, what is the most rewarding thing? Well, the rewarding thing, I suppose, um, the, the couple of things, you know, it's just wonderful if you've been very tentative about a first draft and you're just hoping to hear from the publisher and they, they ring up and say, Maureen, we just, you know, and sometimes they haven't, you know, they've said, oh, look, we've got big problems here. But if they ring up and say, just love it, love it, and I think, oh, God, <laughs> I just fall on the floor and... <laughs> Think, oh Lord, because you've been working on something for months and months and months. You don't, re- you're working in the dark. You don't really know if it works, and um, that. But also the other thing is when you get the um, the, the um, doorbell rings, and um, you've sort of forgotten that book, and the doorbell rings, and this man's at the door with a box of books, a, b- a box, and you think, oh, and you see your book for the first time, and you've got a dozen free copies of your book, and you, there it is. All at work and it's between covers. I love it. <laughs> That's so exciting. And on yeah, yeah, it makes it all real. Yes, because it's not quite real until that point. <laughs> um, and on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Maureen. Thank you very much, Valerie. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to the team from the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online at writerscentre.com.au and discover details about our courses, seminars and popular online learning programs where we help students from all over the world. I'm author of the book Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business. And you can find out more on my personal website, ValerieKoo.com. That's Valerie, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.